Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the theme, the seventh commandment is clear that the Lord reveals that marriage is a holy and divine institution. We'll see that the Lord wants his children to honor marriage. Jesus Christ honored marriage for us and in our place. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit helps us to honor marriage. And we can summarize the very first point, that the Lord wants his children to honor marriage quite briefly, because last week we looked at all that God wants in a very detailed manner. God wants us to understand the place of marriage in the broader context of our mandate so that we don't make it into an idol that is elevated above the many other tasks that he has assigned to all his children. But at the same time, in this context, that God wants us to honor marriage by valuing its special purpose in providing a pure and holy safe place for intimate companionship of one man and one woman and the birth and the nurturing of children. And since adultery and unchastity break the bond of marriages like, like the wedge of an axe breaks apart two pieces of wood that are joined together, God shows that he wants everyone to honor marriage by guarding its purity. And he shows that when he gave the seventh commandment. And when our eyes are opened by the grace of God to the great purpose and the blessing of marriage for all the church, then we can see how often we sin against the seventh commandment and how our sins offend the living God. And our sorrow for these sins brings godly repentance and pleading for mercy from the Lord, we are overjoyed to see his amazing grace to us undeserving sinners. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bear our impurity, to be punished with the eternal wrath of God on the cross for every unchaste thought that has ever entered our minds. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ can know that his or her sins are paid for. And there is more. For God didn't leave it up to us then to, to prove ourselves thankful, and to earn our way back into his favor by never sinning again, but because of his everlasting covenant, and we looked at that in Ezekiel 16 as well, God decided to consider Jesus Christ's perfect obedience to the seventh commandment as our perfect obedience to the commandment. And the gospel message is that all the obedience that we see in Christ's real life here on the earth is exactly the obedience that God considers when he judges everyone who believes in him. And we see that our Lord Jesus honored marriage for us and in our place. So then we turn to the gospels to see exactly how he did that. What did he do? And in Matthew 5, verse 28, our Lord Jesus revealed how pure and how holy his life on earth was when he explained 
that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The words lustful intent, they point to eyes that look only at the physical body of another person and selfishly seek temporary satisfaction, not in the heart, the soul, or the hand, but from their body. In contrast, the eyes of love, the love that belongs in a Christian marriage, are eyes that go beyond the skin to the mind, the soul, the heart, the feelings, the needs, and the faith of the other person. And our Lord Jesus was obedient to the seventh commandment when he looked at the people around him, especially those of the opposite sex. Whether they were relatives or friends or potential soulmates, as more, he saw them as more than just physical structures, but as whole persons with feelings and emotions. And when we see that, and when we repent of the sin of using men and women for pleasure-seeking, the sin of playing around with the emotions of others, or lusting, flirting, and dating without being prepared to marry them or, or having already been married ourselves. And when we confess to God that we have looked at other people with lustful intent and that sinful second look and then repent and fight against these carnal desires, the gospel is that we can turn to Jesus Christ, we can hear his words, we can see his obedience. He did not look at another person with lustful intent, but with loving respect. And so he honored marriage for us and in our place. The gospel is that his righteousness is our righteousness when we repent of our sins and hide ourselves in his obedience. We do not need to remain guilty and condemned for sin against the seventh commandment when we repent when we believe in Jesus Christ's righteousness for us and in our place. In John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, the Lord Jesus honored marriage when he revealed his glory at the marriage feast at Cana. Although it was not for him to be married due to his unique mission, he knew that it was God who brought a man and a woman together, and that if God brought a man and a woman together in marriage, this was a wonderful thing, something that needed to be honored and celebrated by everyone. And so when we repent of the sin of being negative about the work that our marriage requires of us, and sin against the seventh commandment by making disparaging remarks about marriage, and when we recognize that marriage jokes that portray marriage as some kind of slavery are actually signs of rebellion against this holy and divine institution, when we confess the sin of treating our marriage as an unhappy burden rather than a covenant bond that helps us to fulfill the mission that God has given to us, then we can see our Lord Jesus 
obeying the seventh commandment at the wedding feast at Cana. And we can be comforted to know that he honored and celebrated marriage. He joined in with Adam's joy when he received his wife and sang, this, is, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And later, when marriage was being dishonored by the leaders of the church, Matthew 19, our Lord Jesus showed just how much he honored and loved marriage. It wasn't just attending a marriage feast, a marriage ceremony, but he spoke out against the prevailing custom of divorcing, as we see in verse 3, for any cause. And he warned God's people that they must not separate what God has joined together. That's in Matthew 19, verse 6. Our Lord Jesus reasoned that since God has joined a man and a woman together, that marriage vow is a lifelong commitment that we ought to honor even if it causes us suffering. Our Lord Jesus' view on the dignity of even those husbands and wives who are sinful and weak and his call to love those whom God has placed in our paths with patience and with long-suffering, even if they are physically or mentally ill, it reveals to us how much the Lord Jesus esteemed the holy institution of marriage. And when we repent of being so focused on our own feelings and comforts that we forget about God's hand in our marriages, yes, even in our difficult marriages, we can see that our Lord Jesus always upheld marriage as a holy and a divine institution. And, he, and the marriage vow is stronger and weightier than just any feelings of personal comfort that we, mish, we wish we might have. He obeyed the seventh commandment for us and in our place. And it's noteworthy, as we read Matthew 19, that Jesus honored marriage so much that he, he gave just one situation in which divorce would be in accordance with the seventh commandment. And that was when it had already played itself out in adultery and not before. Although in some cases, the sixth commandment calls a person to separate for a time from a professing Christian husband or wife who is fighting their sin, it is noteworthy that our Lord Jesus does not mention laziness or selfishness or bad parenting or unresponsiveness or weakness in addictions other than pornography as reasons for divorce. Our Lord Jesus, who knew the proverb that tells us that the earth trembles under the suffering of an unloved wife, he honored marriage by upholding God's hatred of divorce and fighting against the idea of using just any sin to condone it. The Lord Jesus also honored marriage and obeyed the seventh commandment by confer confirming that Moses did give permission for divorce in some situations. That's in verses 7 and 8 of Matthew 19. And some have pointed out that Jesus uh, indicates that Moses didn't demand 
divorce for adultery. And they point out that that means that those who want to reconcile and make peace even after adultery certainly should try to do that for their own good and for the good of their family. We also notice that God did not condemn divorce in cases of adultery. In fact, we could see that as obedience to the seventh commandment. If you think about it, our Lord Jesus' allowance for divorce, for adultery, and then the Holy Spirit's later allowance for divorce in cases of abandonment was a way that God really honored the holiness of marriage. He did not want it to be mocked. It was not, it does not honor marriage to pretend to be married with a husband or wife who has, has left you to be with other people or left you in, in other ways. It does not honor the exclusive bond of marriage to allow a husband or wife to commit adultery in any way, as if it didn't matter. Jesus' words about the definitive and lasting consequences of committing adultery make us weigh the costs very seriously when we are faced with temptation. If you compare marriage to a holy fence that God has set around two people, then adultery is the act of, of breaking the fence. Anytime your heart or your desires remain fixated on another human being, whether physically beside you or virtually in front of you, then you are rejecting God's plan, rejecting your husband or your wife, breaking your marriage relationship by adultery. Jesus honored marriage by confirming that if you commit adultery, you have broken your marriage relationship. If your husband or wife has committed adultery, they have broken your marriage relationship. And although it may be repaired by the grace of God, and we certainly seek that all the time, such reconciliation is certainly not something that an adulterer can demand of his husband or wife, and certainly not by appealing to the words of our Lord Jesus in Matthew 19. And brothers and sisters, as we think about that and we think about our own lives, we recognize how much we need to repent, constantly repent and confess our sins to the Lord. And when we repent of the sin of lusting after or loving or living with a person who is not our husband or wife, when we confess our sin of treating marriage as a human institution that only needs to last as long as we're comfortable, when we recognize the rebellion against God's will that becomes evident in a desire for divorce for any reason besides sexual immorality or abandonment, then we can turn to our Lord Jesus who maintained the holiness of marriage as a divine institution in obedience to the seventh commandment for us and in our place. Even though our adultery may prevent us from returning to our husband or our wife, there is a way back to God in the forgiveness of our sins in Christ. And when we repent, we can know that 
even our once dirty minds and stained flesh will be covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so, yes, even at that marriage feast of the Lamb will be there, there will be people there who have committed adultery even in thoughts and words and desires, and they will be clothed with the white clothes, the righteous deeds of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit reveals that everyone who feels unloved by their husband or wife on earth can know that the Holy God is jealous for the well-being of, of their souls like a husband is jealous for his wife. And at the same time, all adulterers who repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ are washed clean in his blood and can be presented in the glory of heaven as pure and holy as if they never had nor committed any sexual sin. And the picture of being presented as a pure bride can be found in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. Our Lord is so eager to see our purity and holiness, the purity and holiness of his bride, the church, that he even sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in the hearts of his bride as the Lord dwelt in his own temple and turn our hearts to him and the Holy Spirit helps us as a church of Christ to honor marriage, to live according to the seventh commandment. He grants his children new hearts with desires to, to honor marriage. And these desires begin as, as soon as, as we are able to understand. He allows his children to experience eternal union with Christ our Savior in heaven as the Spirit dwells within our hearts and guides us in His Word. He gives us the desire to live as pure and holy temples who are worthy of the Spirit who dwells within us. Led by the Holy Spirit, we will not be fooled into making marriage an idol so that we base our self-worth and value on the decisions of others to marry us and sometimes are even led by desperation into all sorts of sexual sins. When the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts, He helps us to see what we have in Jesus Christ. He helps us to love all people around us, whether we or they are married or not. It's striking if you go to the New Testament and you read how the Holy Spirit leads us and you read, the, for example, the striking uh, love chapter, the famous love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, you realize that chapter is not speaking about marriage in the first place, but it is speaking about the love between believers in the body of Christ, believers in the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, most of the commandments in the New Testament that speak about love are talking about your relationships to everyone and anyone around you today. Whether we are interacting with, with, with others in our families or with others in our classroom or the church building or in any other setting, the Holy Spirit helps us to recognize our own dignity and our purpose as well as the dignity and the purpose of those 
around us so that we seek to cooperate with, with everyone, either as a brother or sister in all purity or as a future husband or wife in all pu purity, as a present husband or wife in all purity. Marriage in the Lord is built on top of the existing spiritual union and love that all Christians have for one another. And the Holy Spirit leads us in obedience to the seventh commandment by guiding us with God's word to only seek marriage with the right people and for the right reasons. The Holy Spirit tells us in 2 Corinthians 6 that if we are walking with him in the light, we will not want to unite ourselves to people who don't believe in Jesus Christ, who are walking in the darkness. He even asks, what does light have to do with darkness? The Holy Spirit shows us that it matters with whom we get married. He helps us to see Christians around us by their fruit. As we spend time with fellow members in different situations, perhaps we're among those who may be looking for a husband or a wife, you do so like a a person choosing a partner to work with him or her on an assigned project, guiding us by his word. And with the guidance of our parents and our loved ones, we are called to consider how compatible we are with the other person. The question is, how can we complement each other to best serve God's mission and his kingdom? Cupid's story is a pagan myth. Physical appearances will change, so we don't base our lifelong commitment to marriage based merely on physical attraction. But led by the Holy Spirit, we base our marriages on the fruit of the Spirit, on the God-given desires of the heart, the wisdom, the joy, and the energy which are treasures hidden under the skin. The first and the most important question is, and an important question for all of us, and I'm thinking a lot of, of the, the young adults, the teenagers, a question that we ask is, is, am I in a good relationship with God so that I can actually be a blessing to other people? And from there, we continue investigating with whom we could best live with every day for the rest of our lives. Who could I best cooperate with as I serve in the kingdom of God? Will I be able to serve him or her according to the Holy Scripture as we read in the marriage vows? And you can remember that dating without considering marriage is another form of cruelty. Is that person a brother or sister in Christ? First of all, loving what God loves, filled with the Holy Spirit, and knowing that every person is a sinner and that marriage could bring much strife, the question is, would I be willing to support and encourage that person, even if their sinful nature or maybe their poor health or maybe serious injuries make them unable to love me in return, with whom could I be joined 
to give the best environment for raising up the next generation of God's covenant children? Am I showing due diligence and seriousness in my studies and in my work so that I can be a, a husband or wife, a father or mother, an active member of the church? The Holy Spirit helps adolescents, young adults, to seek purity and holiness in their own lives, even when the strong feelings of, of passion and desire may be strong in their minds. And it's clear from God's Word as we read the New Testament that we should not be fooled. As God's children led by the Holy Spirit, don't be fooled. If your heart's one desire is to serve and to glorify God, then these considerations, these questions that we were going through and, and thinking about, those are very romantic questions because they touch on the depths of our heart. What a blessing it is to find someone that wants the same things that you do. And if the Lord decides to bless us with a lifelong partner until death separates us, the Holy Spirit helps us to treat marriage as it is, a holy institution that has been ordained by God. We can trust that the same Lord who brought us together, and for some of us it's many, many years ago, that same Lord will guide us through his word and carry us through the hard times, even when our sinful natures hinder our joy and threaten our satisfaction. The Lord is faithful. In Ephesians 5, the Holy Spirit leads husbands to lead their wives in the fear of the Lord with all tenderness and with all love. And the Holy Spirit leads wives to submit to their husbands who love them with respect and with kindness. The Holy Spirit guides us in all purity and holiness by allowing us to delight in our relationship, our roles, and our responsibilities to God, to our husband or our wife, and to our neighbors. And the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to live according to the Word of God so that we resolve to love the other person when we are married, the other person as a child of God, warts and all, whether or not they are always capable of returning the same love. The fruit of the Spirit can especially be seen in cases of physical, emotional, or spiritual separation, whether it is due to special health care for illness or injury, or due to severe mental disorders, or due to damaging addictions, or even due to sins that are, were committed against one another. He continues to make us love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, and that is the case, even if we cannot always live together as husband and wife in intimate relationships. When the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts, there is no time in the Christian life that hatred or unwillingness to forgive is acceptable in God's eyes. 
What does it tell us to do even in times of separation? 1 Corinthians 7 verse 9, he says, use that time to pray for one another. Includes a desire for the well-being of another person. So unkindness and impatience and selfishness and anger and yelling to hurt someone else. They're never, it's never the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not before marriage and not during marriage and not during a time of separation. The Holy Spirit helps us to honor marriage by guiding our hearts to love our neighbor as God loves us. Loving the unlovable, showing grace to the incapable, equipping the weak, being patient, but also being clear and firm with those who break the marriage relationship by their adultery and abandonment. You see, brothers and sisters, marriage is not necessary for salvation, but it is a holy and a divine institution. God defends marriage in the seventh commandment because he wants it to be a safe place for intimacy and spiritual growth. Marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. And we saw that in Ephesians 5 in the display text as we came in today. We reflected on that. A husband and a wife can also live each day in the knowledge of the forgiveness of their sins because they have Christ as bridegroom, the one who gave his life on the cross to make you his church, his bride. The Holy Spirit guides husbands and wives to love with the same self-sacrificial commitment as they help each other fulfill the mission that the church has received from God. And together, they look forward to the marriage feast of the Lamb, together with each other, together with all believers, every member of the body of Jesus Christ. When the fullness of Christ, the bridegroom's gracious work for us and in our place, will be experienced by all God's children in its fullness. May the Holy Spirit keep us pure and holy, whether we are unmarried or married, so that our different genders, our different body types, our different desires, situations, and needs will not cause harm and division, but rather be melded together to make Christ's church strong and useful in this world. Amen.